Hello, welcome back to Conversations at theholenote.com. I'm David Perlman. I'm here with Jan Lischetsky, pianist. Great uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, you're most welcome. We're glad to have you. Um, you're, you're here in Toronto, as you were telling me, uh, on a flying visit in from home in Calgary and before that several places in Europe, including uh, Germany for Deutsche Grammophon release of your first CD? My first Deutsche Grammophon CD, not, not quite my first CD, it's my first uh, recorded CD in the sense that it wasn't a live performance, this mm -hmm. one, um, but my first CD was a Chopin CD recorded by the Chopin Institute. A live, of a live performance? Of a live performance. So this is, uh, this is exciting? It is. It's a very new experience for me. Mm -hmm. So with the, with the Deutsche Grammophon, is this, is this a one-off or is this a contract? <laughs> well, I hope what? it's not uh, a one-off. <laughs> you have to ask a, Deutsche a, Grammophon. A, a, life, a <laughs> life sentence or what? <laughs> it's neither a life sentence nor a one-off, I hope. Um, how did life sentence wouldn't be too bad, but, but one-off. How did it come about? Uh, well, it came about quite naturally, actually, and, and the, the basic reason why I chose Deutsche Grammophon, to be honest, is, is because of repertoire. Of course, there's a great prestige behind the label, and, mm -hmm. and of course, there's also great artists who have recorded over the years, many great artists, and that's mm -hmm. something special and something that um, I, I feel privileged to be a part of. Uh, but at the same time, Deutsche Grammophon was very willing to accept uh, my repertoire ideas for what I'd like to record. My, my, the plan for the first CD was the Mozart concertos 466 and 467 and I'm mm -hmm. happy to say that the plan materialized and so, so far so good. It's a contract for five years for five CDs. And well, all Mozart? No. No? <laughs> no, the first one was Mozart and, and then the next ones are, um, are in the process of being planned, uh, Chopin, Etudes, next one and, and then after that uh, it's still, I, I have an idea but it's Still well, it's, a it's a secret. It's a sense. secret. Yeah. So that's the Mozart, the 20 and 21, right? That's correct. D minor and C major. Mm -hmm. And very special concertos by themselves. Uh, uh -huh. The D minor, of course, one of two written in a minor key for the piano by Mozart. And very different than most of Mozart's other works. It's ahead of its time, in a sense. Um, it was written in a much more solo piano solo style not 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 as much of an accompaniment and, and and very different the themes were presented differently and the ideas were um, quite quite uh, special from the other concertos and and of course at the same time it's related to number 21 the c major it's i i may say even that it's a twin it was written at the same time right. It was premiered not even a month apart, and it has, of course, the Kershaw numbers 466 and 467, so it's also really closely written. Um, and and those, were, those were two at the end of a frenzy of concerto writing for him. What? Yes, and very much also they, they reflect two things. They're, the D minor is the dark one, the, the really emotional one, um, and, and just has hidden lighter emotions. These, these, the brightness is, is really hidden beneath mm -hmm. the darkness. Um, and the C major, on the other hand, is, is a more of a stereotypical Mozart concerto. It's a bright one, but still there's, on the contrary, on the other hand, there's a, there's a bit of that D minor darkness hidden underneath as well. So, you, so you, when you talk like this, it's, it, 
it's clear that you that you have a sense of the arch of of the opus. You've you've studied them all, or not yet. no, not I, yet. I mean, I'm I'm not not quite seventeen. I'm seventeen yeah, well, on, on Friday, so haven't had really the time. You know, I found myself thinking when I was getting ready for this interview that that there should be a rule which says you you're not allowed to play something that. With Mozart, you should only be allowed to play pieces that he wrote when he was the same age as you. Yes, that, that yeah. would, you would, that would stop being able to play Mozart very quickly, wouldn't you? <laughs> no, you'd be able to start again with all the ones ah, that okay. you had done at, okay. in your mid-30s well, yeah. and revisit them. Um, you'd have to start early then. Because <laughs> so, he, was, he was probably, what, 28 when he wrote these two I believe so and some, somewhere around that and, and for him it was later works and however it's it, it reflects also the time period that he was going through in his life and the darkness mm. of it, uh, it you know, this he was had, Vienna he some, yeah he had some great years and and then mm. it all changed for him very quickly uh, in our lives things some I mean in everybody's lives things happen quickly but but here we're sitting and you know what we think what happened six years ago or seven years ago or five years ago and it, Probably something we remember very briefly, but but in Mozart's life, that that five years or that few years was a was a huge gap. He was at the top of Vienna, Vienna, and the whole culture there, and the musical and scene, and and then it all just somebody in. decided for him that that he had to go down, and that's unfortunate, very sad. Mm -hmm. huh. So with with I found myself wondering when one's playing a piece of music, the, the, the question of knowing more than the composer does. In other words, when you're playing the 20th and the 21st yeah. piano concerti, but you know the whole story and everything beyond, how do you make choices about what's more than the music itself knew itself to be? If that's not a ridiculous question, <laughs> I think um, it, there's two two sides to this. One is, of course, history is important to to know what you're playing and and the time period and what was going on. But at the same time, uh, many times there isn't much. Some some things haven't been written down at all, and we don't know. And we don't know if Mozart was writing what he was feeling when he wrote these pieces. And so, if you go too deeply, then it becomes a little bit too abstract. You're thinking only from a um, historian standpoint of what was going on and, and the pieces should speak for themselves really if the D minor is how you feel it if it's uh, if it's a greatly emotional and sad piece for you and and maybe for some others it's an angry work uh, maybe for some it's just dramatic and that that's what you feel inside and that's what you're going through and that, that's the beauty of an interpretation that mm -hmm. in pop music for example we have um, songs need to change constantly. We need to get new songs, new people, and, and that's, that's what keeps pop music alive. In classical music, we don't change the works. We have works that have been written many years ago, and, and what changes and what keeps them current are the interpretations. So mm -hmm. um, everybody's feeling goes into those, of course. And, and that's, that's really important when you, when you think of the context and, and of Mozart's work. And in the end, me performing and recording these Mozart concertos, it's not just about recording them and putting out a CD, but it's about, in the long term, about keeping Mozart's music alive and developing. This is a, a, a small part in a, in a great big puzzle. Mm -hmm. 
and in some future time you'll get to revisit yourself in this absolutely it's a, well. it's a record of how, how many how many on. recordings of these two have you listened to would you quite say quite a few i actually quite a few? i i'm and i didn't listen with the pretext of of imitating or or um, seeing what other people are doing and just for the sake of my playing but but out of interest genuine interest and i've there's amazing amount of recording of these um, recordings of these two concertos and there's a reason for that of course mm -hmm. and the reason is that they are great works and mm -hmm. it's as simple as that i was just thinking back on when 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 you last were in toronto because i missed your last one you say it was just this last it was just january, january? yes i performed with the tso actually okay. Mozart. Concerto C major in January. So. And testing your memory, when was the first that you can remember? In in Toronto, mm -hmm. uh, there's a few in the back, and I'm not going to go too far back. But <laughs> I think I think the Kerner Hall in September was probably the first major one okay. I, I played Chopin concerto then. And one of my colleagues in the whole note office, Karen Ages, who yeah. plays the oboe, um, plays always with Toronto Sinfonietto, Matthew Yaskevich. Yes, yeah. And uh, she remembers one of the concerto competitions where you, you played not as a winner, mm. but as an actual recitalist as, I don't know, how old were you? I don't remember. I, I, that was probably my first performance in Toronto, oh, but really? I don't remember. Many anyway, so now I'm, now I'm playing with the TSO in November once again, and okay. around Toronto I'm playing in Stratford. And you were in Stratford last summer. Oh, I've been to Stratford twice already. Okay. Um, I love going to Stratford. It's what, what was your, uh, what was your uh, concert or concerts last year at Stratford? Well, the, I love the concept of Stratford. It's, it's very simple in the end. There's three concerts, uh, mm -hmm. three recitals. They're all about an hour each. And they're actually at 11 a.m. That's probably the earliest, some of the earliest concerts that I've performed. It's right. 11 a.m., but I love it. I'm a morning person. And what makes it fantastic is that you get the music, then you get to go eat lunch or dinner, have a, a few hours off, and you go see a play. And that's what I do, too. Is I right. play the concert, and I have a few hours off, maybe lunch, maybe practice for the next recital on the next day, and then I go see a play as well. So I love going to Stratford. And so this summer you're back July 19, 2021, I That's heard. correct. Yeah. And what's the, is there a theme or are they three very different? Uh, it depends. Um, this year I'm, I'm not yet 100% sure what uh, it'll be, but um, it's, every year is different and every recital presents itself as a full thing. You don't have to be at all three to understand, um, right. but every single one is accessible, I believe. Right. I hear that uh, Glenn Gould anniversary is going to be a fairly big part of what they're doing this year. Is, yeah. is Bach part of your repertoire? Bach is always part of my repertoire, mm -hmm. and, and I love Bach because, well, Bach is, is the purest form of keyboard music for me as a musician. That's my opinion, but I, I truly find Bach to speak to me as as something that really comes from the heart and doesn't have any embellishments is, is just pure, just what it was. And it's beautiful in that way. And I love starting programs with Bach. It's a risky thing to do, some may say, because of course you're not warmed up and you're coming on stage and you're all bare. It's, it's like before the audience knows you, you're already stripping naked. And that's a little bit, uh, yeah. it's a little bit of a, it's a, it's a daring thing something to do, but it allows me to, know the audience, to get to know them, to, to see how they react, to see what mood they're in. Sometimes an audience comes in very restless, sometimes they come in very, very concentrated and sometimes they're something good. The weather was nice and they're all happy and it all depends on the mood. And, and the Bach is a way of saying, 
hello, this is me, this is the music, mm -hmm. and also getting to know the audience from for me, and, and so I can adjust and, and see how I'd like to communicate with them. So that you can hear what kind of listening is actually happening. And the listening is much more important for me than the applause at the end. And, and of mm -hmm. course, applause is a fantastic way of releasing energy, and it's, and it's positive, it's so positive, mm -hmm. I like applause. But the listening is, is a true expression of how the audience is communicating with you, and if they indeed feel a connection with you. And, and I, that's what I always hope to achieve. So, Friday you're turning 17, right? Yes. So is no one allowed to use the word prodigy in an interview after Friday, or have they stopped already? Well, I've, I've tried to convince people not to use that word uh, yeah. ever, no, no matter what year it was, because... It's I, a I, tough one, it's, it's a tough label to carry. And, and it's not really reflective of who I am, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm extremely privileged to be doing what, I, what I'm doing, and, and mm -hmm. I'm feel very happy to be doing it and that's that's all there is and and it's just like anybody who's playing a sport and they're good at it and they love it that's mm. the same way can you ever can you remember ever not having music at your fingertips can I, you can you remember that far back i don't think there was a moment that i that i mean of course you remember there's i have lots of memories that are not related to music if that's sure. what you mean but no, but uh you know, there's music has always is is has been part of my life forever, and I think it's been part of everybody's life, and mm -hmm. to some degree, and and some of course have more involvement and some have less, but everybody is in some way touched by music, even if it's classical music, pop music, but but it touches everybody's life. It's something so simple, it's so it's beyond us. We can't understand why music is so great, even you know, with all our technology and all our scientific developments. Music, I think, is greater than all of us. Mm -hmm. Let's leave it there. <laughs> Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll see you again, too.